Future of Tech, hosted by Avishai Sharlin, Division President of Amdocs Technology. In this podcast, Avishai sits down with technology leaders and some of the most innovative minds in the industry to learn how they are disrupting the present and what kind of impact they foresee for the future. No topic is off limits, so sit back, relax, and maybe take notes because what you hear on this show might just be a glimpse into the future. Rick Riboli says that when you're trying to transform a product or product space, sometimes you have to forget everything you know and start from nothing to build something truly innovative. And as someone who did in fact transform an entire platform and product category, Rick would know from that experience. Rick is the Senior Vice President and CIO at Comcast. And during his time with the company, he was instrumental in leading the team that built the X1 platform, which has won numerous awards, including an Emmy Award for Technology and Engineering. On part two of this episode of Future of Tech with Rick, he describes what it was like building the X1 platform. And he explains where he thinks the next wave of innovation is going to come from as it relates to IoT. Rick advises that people take risks and not be afraid to start completely from scratch because that's where new ideas truly come from. And he gives us an inside look at what makes him tick and gives tips for CIOs and the CEOs of the future. Hear why he thinks that and how he put that idea into practice on this episode. Enjoy. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs' R&D and technology center, paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. I'd like to go a bit back into history because I recall once we spoke about a journey that you had within Comcast, obviously building the X1. So I wanted, uh, first of all, if you can share with the audience, you know, what is X1? And then maybe a few lessons from the journey of making X1 such a big success. Sure, I'd love to. So the X1, I'll back up the story with when I first joined Comcast and was leading the advanced video products group, our set-top boxes were the user experiences were, we always call it the blue screen, but it was, it looked like something that was built on Visual Basic, right? The screens were, you know, little ovals and you could pick something and then there'd be a bit of a delay and you go to the next menu with a bunch of ovals. Um, you've all probably seen. A bit newer than, than your Commodore 64, <laughs> but not, not, uh, not much, not much, not much. Yeah. And none of us were really proud of the experience back then, but that was the state of the technology back then. And we had partnered with a couple companies to try to bring it to a new interactive level. And we just could not, I felt like the, the, the technology in cable had just was fairly stagnant when it came to these video interfaces. And so we ended up starting from scratch. It was originally a project called Excalibur, where we went and from the ground up, in, and this was really, you know, Tony Werner and Sri Kote within our organization started this initiative, which eventually became X1 where we decided to build a new video platform from the ground up. And so the user experience, now you sort of probably take it for granted, but when we were doing this back, you know, I'll say um, 10 years ago, it was state-of-the-art where all the video was very graphical. You know, all the menus are graphics and tile art and very easy to navigate. And it's blended between 
linear TV and on demand as well as internet video. So everything's blended together. We have music in there now. So it's just, it's really an entertainment system at this point. And so that's what we, we, we ventured out to build and, you know, went through a number of trials, but then mass launched, not just to Comcast, but we also provided as a service to other MSOs. So for instance, Cox Communications in the United States is a customer of ours. They use the X1 platform and rebrand it. What are the main lessons from, from this that if you need something to happen, you need to develop it on your own or? No, I think the funny thing was we didn't really set out saying we wanted to build something on our own. I think we tried to partner with a couple companies in the past to get there and we couldn't get there. But I think one lesson for us was when you really do have to, you know, transform a product space or an industry Sometimes you just, like we took a team and put them in another building. You kind of, sometimes you just have to step away from, from all that you know and go start fresh. And I think we tried multiple times not to do that, but we finally realized that was the only way to really break the paradigm. And so that was really important. And we felt as the largest broadband operator in the country that we needed to start to become more of a leader and less, as, less a follower of technology. And so I think that was our way of, figuring out how to sort of lead in this space. I will say we did learn, I mean, first and foremost, we learned how to build software iteratively, which was, that was really the biggest challenge for us was we had always built software, as I was saying earlier, where someone wrote a big spec, you know, the product team would write a big spec, hand it over to an engineering team. The engineering team would either turn to a vendor and give them that spec or start to build it themselves. And the X1 was really the first time where we took on a massive initiative and figured out how to build software and build products iteratively. And that was, I think that changed the company. That, that changed us from being a buyer of technology to understanding how we could build it ourselves and the right way to build it ourselves. And it also impacted the way we work with technology companies because when we did that, we decided that's the way that's the way we want our technology partners to build software. So it started to create a bar when we dealt with technology partners that if they didn't build software that way, we really didn't want to be buying or using their software. Like we, we started pushing all our partners that if they wanted to have a strategic relationship with us long-term, we expected them to iterate and you know, build more modular solutions and iterate uh, quickly with their software. So let me ride this wave and ask you about the future or maybe the vision. You mentioned it earlier, but if you need to foresee like three, five years, what do you see are the main areas that the industry is going to evolve into or the areas that we need to look into if we want to make sure that, you know, we are... Yeah, I think digital is going to continue. As I mentioned earlier, it's going to continue to evolve. I think what many companies have done so far with digital is, you know, sometimes I'll refer to as digital lipstick, where they've digitized the front edges of their business. So people can do, customers can do some, I'll say some basic digital interactions with, with companies, but inside the company, they didn't really digitize much of the, the business. And I think that's kind of the next layer of what I see happening. And we went through this and we're going through it right now where for the first two years of digital, people could do some basic interactions in terms of what they could buy on our website or what 
I'll say uh, uh, what self-service they could do on, on the repair side, but we couldn't go deep. We couldn't let them really resolve more challenging spaces or they couldn't really repackage things the way they might want to in terms of what they buy. So I think this next wave of digital goes deeper into the core, but in order to be able to do that, it all comes back to your, you know, the data that you manage inside your enterprise and whether your data, so an example with us is much of our data today has been regionalized within the business and is very specific to each one of our regions or, or divisions. And so when you look at our product catalogs, the way we built our products, the way we build the add-ons, all those pieces have been kind of done in pockets. And so we have a lot of work to do in, in terms of cleaning up all of that and standardizing it and really managing the data in our enterprise. Because I think if you don't have a good grip on the data in your enterprise, it's really hard to digitize it at a, at a deep level. And so that's one big trend I see happening with us. Do you see areas declining at the same time? Areas that were, you know, kind of uh, living behind? Um, it's a great question. And it's one that we're, we're going through the budget process right now. And it's one we, always, <laughs> one we always debate, right? Because when we look at where we're investing, we always say it's, it's digital, it's artificial intelligence, it's our data platforms. Like we're, we're investing in those three areas. And then we say, okay, well, where are we going to steal it from? because budgets are always flat. And I think the way we're trying to, I'll say it'll be less about not investing in certain areas, but more about consolidating. So the way we have traditionally built up capabilities in the company was, I'll say on a channel by channel basis. So the care team built a platform, you know, we call Einstein that, that supports care interactions. And you know, the retail teams, you know, we built technology for the retail teams that was around the retail stores. And we built technology for our self-service capabilities we call digital. And, you know, the list kind of goes on and on because we have a lot of different channels. And I think where, where we're trying to find more efficiency is by building like a core brain that all the channels use. So as we're trying to make it smarter and smarter, we only have to do it once. We don't have to do it across all the many channels out there. And so where it's starting to build up from our perspective right now is we're building one sales brain, you know, we call Zoe, Xfinity order entry is what we call it. And the idea there is that that's the, that's the one platform for sales across all the channels. And then we're building one, which is more, I'll say, on the service side of the business, which we call AIQ. And that one's really all about how do we support customers in a self-service way or how do we basically proactively figure out, resolve their problems or answer their questions. And again, we're building that in a multi-channel way so that it could work across all the channels. So as we build up those two platforms, I think the channels are really just about the way we surface the, the interactions. And I think what we'll find over time is as certain channels grow and other ones decay, it'll just impact the UIs. It won't impact the core platform because the core capabilities were going to continue to grow and grow over time. Very interesting. Very interesting. Where do you see IoT? Everybody speaks about IoT. Everybody wants to have IoT and then eventually we're going to conferences about or hearing. But where is it really happening? Or I think what's really funny about IoT is that 
you know, we all would hear all these stories of all these really interesting use cases that all seemed pretty cool, you know, from a geeky tech perspective. But I think where we're going to see IoT grow is where we can, where you can use it in a way with high utility to consumers. And so, you know, talking to your refrigerator, eh, you know, not sure that's that compelling or high utility. Talking to your washer and dryer, eh, right? But um, talking to your TV set, I mean, that was our voice remote that we built. That has turned out to be super popular. You know, being able to control the locks on your door remotely or being able to, you know, monitor your front door and automatically detect when a package is showing up or a certain, you know, white van drives by your house. Those things have utility. So I think, I think the technology of IoT is going to continue to evolve and leverage a lot of the artificial intelligence with visual recognition and, and audio recognition. But I think we're just going to continue to see it, just like any other technology. We'll talk a lot about it, but there's going to be only the use cases that get into mainstream are the ones that are going to really have um, high utility to customers. And I think the ones that will have high utility are the ones that either give them useful information that they haven't had in the past, like Fitbits and iWatches, you know, with, with your health, or it's going to give them access to control things more easily than they have in the past, which is things like the voice remote. Okay. Again, a short pause and, and maybe a few personal questions. So okay. I know that you love golf, but uh, what are you reading? What are your favorite uh, books or stuff that you read? Yeah. So I have a, a library of books over uh, on my shelf right across from me here. And I do bounce between, I'll say, engineering books and leadership books. You know, that, that is the blend that I always try to, uh, I try to keep myself up to date on technology, but also like to hear a lot of perspectives from a leadership perspective. So recently I read the book uh, Accelerate, and that was all about DevOps. It's, it's sort of a DevOps type book. And um, the reason I read that one was I've been really debating how do we measure productivity of development teams? And how do we help development teams improve on the fundamental mechanics of development? And every time I had a hard conversation with folks about how do we know if that development team is good or not good? And we would talk about story velocity. And we talk about a lot of different metrics. But I've been really curious. So what do people that have studied this academically and studied companies, what do they say? And that's where Sounds like I'm doing a commercial for the book Accelerate, but that's what they, it was, it was a, a couple of folks that did a bunch of research in this area and had a, had a bunch of perspectives on how do you measure a development team. So that's, that was a pretty good book, uh, not really leadership, but more about the mechanics of software development, how it should evolve over time. Leadership books are just general books. I, I liked a book called Principles by uh, Dalio. And that was a really interesting book about basically someone who is a financial genius in the financial world, took a lot of his principles around decision-making and team building and, and how he applied it to basically change the culture. I like books about culture. I think they're really, really fascinating. And so he had an idea about how to take his principles and apply it to a culture that he then rolled out to his whole company over, over multiple years. And so that was pretty fascinating. I had a lot of unique perspectives. Interesting. So 15 years down the road, 
Uh, you're getting up in the morning, not necessarily need to drive to the office, but still need to uh, be wide awake and, and, you know, drive, I don't know, 12, 14 hours of a day. What makes you excited about uh, your daily job? What, what makes you tick? Yeah. So it's always made me tick. There's always two things that sort of just in general make me tick. One is working with, with great people. And it's, again, cliche, but, but couldn't be more true. So much depends on the people that I surround myself with or that I, I get to work with on a daily basis. And the second one is impact. I, you know, I, I can be working with a lot of people I really like, but if we're not, if we're not having big impact, then I kind of question why are we here? Life's short. You know, it's great to have fun and to enjoy being around other people, but I also want to have big impact and, and change. And so where I get really, I get really excited about coming into work is when we're, we're working together as one team and we're doing something different. We're changing the way things work. We're creating capabilities for our customers. You know, I enjoy transformation. I don't enjoy, you know, there's some people that enjoy operating things. I'm, I don't really enjoy sort of operating things status quo. I'm more about, I get a buzz from the transformation where I can see we're going to a place that's a better place than the one we're in and it's going to be a tough journey, but the, the journey itself is, is a lot of fun for me. And especially around culture, because I think what I have found over the last 10 years or so in Comcast is I've been, um, I've been a part of teams and led teams where we had a really challenging culture. And I've been a part of teams where we've had a fantastic culture and it's just a massive difference. And you read about this in books, but until you experience it, you still think like it's a bunch of, you know, HR speak, but uh, I've really seen the power of great culture. And so like a lot of times I wake up in the morning thinking about, okay, how are we doing on culture? Like, is, are there things we should be doing differently right now to change the culture, to improve the culture? Right. And I, I agree. I think so much with the culture thing and also with the transformation, you know, um, it's the nature of, uh, as you said, of, of everything we do. If the transformation is there and if the dynamic is there and the tenacity is there, it makes life so much more interesting as opposed to just uh, maintain and doing the same task day in, day out. Yeah. Let's uh, assume I'm a new CIO. I just listened to this podcast and I'm, I'm seeking for some advice about my next uh, Areas that I should focus on in, in the coming years, uh, one or two areas that I should watch out or, or things that I need to uh, make sure that I will not miss. What will be your advice? I think uh, for my first piece of advice would be, as I said earlier, um, definitely understand the culture, right? I think a lot of IT organizations have a tendency within the company to be order takers within their organization, where folks within the business have projects, they come to the IT organization with dollars, you know, the IT organizations basically say, take a ticket. And basically the, the business gives them money and then they go execute individual projects for them. And I think if that's the type of IT organization you're leading, you have to kind of ask yourself, what value am I really providing in the company? Because those business partners could just as easily be going to a third party consulting company and having them just do the work directly. And if all you're doing is just ticket taking, then you kind of have to just step back and say, is the company really getting the value for the organization that you're leading? 
And so, so from my perspective, what I think IT organizations really need to do is really step back and figure out how do they do more than just do the tactical work that the business partners want. And within our company, I think that what I found was that when the business teams were sort of just asking IT to do work individually, we ended up with a lot of, uh, I'll say, uh, you know, vertical projects getting done, but we weren't seeing the synergy of the platforms or the synergy of all these individual projects showing up in terms of platforms. And so when we stepped back as an IT organization and said, we really need to be more strategic, what we started to see was lots of projects that could be implemented once versus across multiple times. So building, like I was saying, you know, building a platform around sales and then just skinning it for the different channels, building capabilities in service the same way and then just skinning it differently for different channels. But it really took great partnership with our business partners. It meant we had to bring business partners together to come to agreement on how we could build things once and, and where what platforms we want to invest in. And so I think the, the biggest advice I would give would be step back and don't just run projects. Think broadly about the strategy of the company and what platforms and reusable capabilities you should build. And then make sure you have the right culture and the right team to be strategic and to do that. But the, you know, the catch is you can't just be a bunch of whiteboard strategic architectural thinkers. You actually have to execute. So it comes back to what I was saying earlier is I'm a big fan. I tell most of my teams, if you're building technology in a particular space, you need to have a target architecture. You need to strategically know where you're going but you need to be able to iterate your way there. You know, by delivering day-to-day value to the business, you need to iterate your way there to the target architecture. And that's a, that's a tricky balance to, but if, you're, if all you're doing is talking about strategy and architectures and you're not delivering near-term business needs, they're going to find a new CIO soon. If the other extreme is all you're doing is delivering their near-term asks and you're not building a platform for the future, they're going to be looking for a new CIO soon. So you've got to find that balance between the two. And I think that's, that's the, uh, the hard part of the job. Good. So before they find a new CIO soon, uh, <laughs> I, w- <laughs> I wanted to thank you. It was a pleasure. Um, always good to speak to you. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, real fun. And uh, I hope uh, seeing you soon face to face again after uh, this COVID yeah, no, thanks for having me. This was, this was a lot of fun and, and great seeing you. And I do miss, uh, it's the, that's the big challenge here of, of COVID. We don't get to really uh, spend any time directly with each other. So you, no trips to Philly for you, no trips to Israel for me. <laughs> Hopefully uh, things will be better on the other side of this. Yeah, sure. Do hope so. All the best, Rick. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Avishai. for listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Charlin, directly on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.